0: Okay, we are going to go ahead and get started. If I can have your attention. Thanks for being here at our Summer Women in the Word study. Can you believe it's summer in June in Texas and pleasant outside? Aren't you shocked and so excited? We know that everyone's in and out of town in the summer, and so um, we are just grateful that you can come any weeks that you happen to be in town. In case you weren't here last week, or if you were, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes to review what we talked about last week, and then we will jump into our verses in Titus for today. Last week, we kind of laid a foundation and looked at some of the themes that run through the book of Titus. Paul is writing to Titus, and Titus is in... Crete and in crete it 's likely that the gospel had just gotten to that city, and people were trying to figure out what their lives looked like as Christians and they were also trying to look at what does a church look like and Paul is leaving Titus to set up the church, set up some order um, so that the uh, Christians that are in Crete can be spiritually healthy that they can have a spiritually healthy church. We talked about how The gospel and Jesus really come in and changes things in every culture. It impacts things. And that we all are, none of us are perfect, and we're all kind of working towards these good works in response to our salvation, not to be saved, but in response to that. And we're being trained and encouraged and motivated in that by grace. And so we kind of laid those as foundations, things we need to know, as we're looking at the book of Titus, and we're going to build on that a little This week and also next week as well. You know, when Paul sent this letter to Titus, he didn't, I'm sure he read it, or I'm guessing he read it multiple times, um, but he probably sat and read it all in one sitting. So these things all actually work together, the three weeks that we're studying. And we looked last week specifically at Titus 1.5, which kind of talked about why um, Paul was writing to Titus. And it says in Titus Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And I know that some of us really love order. Some of us um, like to say we're a little more free-flowing with things. But my guess is that you appreciated the stop sign and stop lights and lines on the road as you drove here. So even if you think you're not an order person, I have traveled to a... um, city in another country that had several million people and was there for over a week and saw not one stop sign and stoplight. And so we have to admit that order does help keep things healthy, keep things spiritually healthy as well. And so in the same way, Paul is wanting Titus to come in and help create some of this order so that it will be a spiritually healthy place. What we're going to do first as we read through this, I'm actually going to read through all the verses we're going to talk about, and then we're going to work back through them individually. So as I read through them, I'd love for you to, as you read through it, kind of think of it maybe in an overview kind of way of what's the main point, what's the main theme, think about kind of the overview of what we're going to be talking about tonight, and then we're going to come back through and talk about each thing specifically we're gonna. Uh, I will read for us Titus 1, verses 5 through 16, and then a few verses in Titus 3. So again, just kind of be thinking, what's the overview? What is it that's going on here? And then we're going to come back through and look at some things individually. Picking up um, again in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, and to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We see this theme repeated in Titus 3, so I want to read a few verses there but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So as we look at this overview, as we've read through it, we can kind of see some of the disorder, That Paul is concerned about and some of the reasons he wants to bring order in. He sees this problem. There's this problem. There are false teachers that are creating a lot of problems, obviously um, upsetting whole families. And so Paul comes in and says, this is not spiritually healthy. This is not good for the church. It's not good for the people. There's this problem. So I'm going to implement some solutions to this problem. We're going to talk about some of those solutions today as well as next week. But he begins to paint a contrast here with this solution, and we see it very clearly in verse 5. He gives something to the church, or instructs Titus to give something to the church to help create spiritual order and deal with this problem that the false teachers have been creating. He says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he says, okay, as a part of responding to these problems, to be spiritually healthy, to have an order, I want you to appoint elders. This is going to be part of our solution to the problem. And then he begins to describe these elders. And the first thing we notice as we read through this is that he describes the character of the elders, and their character is above reproach. And he says it right away. Look in verses 6 through 8 and see these characteristics. If anyone is above reproach, not just average, their character is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers that aren't open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination or some kind of disobedience or rebellion. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So we see he's saying, I'm going to put some people to try to create some order, some spiritually healthy order in the church. And he first looks at the home and says, is there some order? Are things going well in that person's home? Because if they're going to be a manager here and help create order in the church, then it would make sense that you look and say, is there some order? Is there healthiness in this home? And then he begins to describe other characteristics, which as we read through them slowly, we can see, or at least I could see, why it would be really good if you're looking for spiritual help, for spiritual order, why you would want individuals with these characteristics. Certainly you would want someone that's not arrogant. Think about someone that's contentious or quarrelsome and how much disorder that creates. Certainly we can see why we would want someone who is not arrogant. They're not quick-tempered. Fights don't start easily and all the time. Someone not quick-tempered. They're not a drunkard. They're not violent. They're not greedy for gain. The greedy for gain one is um, something, and all of these are important, but this is going to be specifically important as we look at the false teachers. So you can imagine that if you had someone in charge of the church that was greedy for gain, that would not end up being a spiritually healthy place, would it? Probably not. So these are the types of characteristics that Paul is saying, Titus, look for some elders that display these characteristics. There are also some characteristics that he wants them to look for that are very positive. Look for people who are hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, someone who is very self-controlled and sensible, they're upright, a just person. Again, things that make a lot of sense as to would help create order and spiritual health. These people are holy and they are disciplined. Now, note specifically, it doesn't say they're perfect. We're not looking for someone perfect, but we're looking for someone who, like we said last week, has been transformed by the grace of God, by Jesus' death and resurrection, and they are growing in grace and they are developing these characteristics in their own lives. So these are people that are also applying the things we talked about last week. Now remember, one of the things we said we were going to do as we look through Titus was begin to look at ourselves individually and look at our church and say, how are we doing? If this is part of God's design for a spiritually healthy church, how are we doing? So if you will notice on your table, I have copied, it's got selection from the Constitution of Christ Chapel Bible Church. So I went to our Constitution and Bylaws and I pulled out what our Constitution and Bylaws says about elders because we need to take a good look at ourselves and at our church and say, are we doing some things to put ourselves in a place of being spiritually healthy? Well, you'll notice the very first thing that it addresses in our constitution and bylaws that's been written long before we decided to study Titus is what? The qualifications, what we just talked about, are specifically set forth where? 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and Titus 1 Five through nine, which means as people serve as elders here at Christ Chapel, their character, again, they're not expected to be perfect. However, they're expected to be above reproach and display this character. And if for some reason they don't have this character, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not a part of Christ Chapel in some way, that we don't love them, but it means that they're not going to serve as elders here at Christ Chapel. Again, um, we're going to come back to this in a minute. Um, This is not really a topical sermon on elders. We're going to talk specifically in the context of Titus what is going on. But I wanted you to have this so that you could take this home and read it and see what Christ Chapel does. Now, all of these specific things are not in the Bible. There's not a specific way people should be elected or nominated or some of those things. So if you were to ever go to another church and they had a different election system that's not necessarily a bad thing now clearly they need to have elders consistent with the character from what's in scripture but there's also some things that christ chapel has just put in here for how we work but there are also some very specific things in here consistent with scripture we're going to look at it again for how christ chapel is trying to seek spiritual order and help of our church and of the individuals that are here at our church One other thing I wanted us to mention before we move on is you'll note that the text says don't go and appoint an elder. It says appoint elders. It's plural. It's more than one, which we could probably sit and talk for a long time about why more than one is good. Certainly, um, hopefully, that's going to prevent just one charismatic person from taking over. From one person being in control of everything and abusing authority, hopefully there's some encouragement, some safety in numbers, some working together, some helping each other out. And at Christ Chapel, we have not just an elder, we have elders, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Now, let's look back at Titus and say, okay, Titus is supposed to look for people with this character, but he's also supposed to look for some other things. Let's keep reading and look at verse 9 and see what are the responsibilities that these elders are supposed to have. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So these elders, again, they have other responsibilities that we see in Scripture, We're just talking about Titus, but at least some of their responsibilities are teaching and rebuking. I want to talk just a minute about what those words mean, because I think it's really important that we look at it. If you look at this word, give instruction, um, you can translate it a variety of different ways, teaching. But it's not just um, coming and giving information to someone. I have information. I'm going to give it to you. Yes, that's included. That's good. That's a part of it. But that is not what give instruction in its fullness means. It involves encouragement. It involves exhortation, It involves consolation, it involves comfort. It's not just, "I have information, and I'm going to give it to you. In fact, I put on your verse sheet 1 Thessalonians 5:11, and I've highlighted the or italicized, the word encourage, because that's the same word. In the original Greek in which this letter was written, it's the same word that I think can also help us understand more fully what the role of the elder is. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. And if you're around Christ Chapel and know any of the elders, yes, there are plenty of times where they are teaching and giving information, but they are also doing a lot of other things. In fact, you may be thinking, I don't even know if I know who any of the elders are. I don't think I've met any. And you may not. But if you've been around for a while, I think you'd be surprised to find that you've probably interacted with them. You just didn't know. Because they're involved in our children's ministry. They're involved in dramas. They're involved in the worship ministry. You've seen them play instruments and participate in leading worship. They're a part of our missions ministry. They're a part of marriage mentoring. They're a part of soul care. They are in and out and around and among us as a part of us giving instruction, encouraging, exhorting. Again, um, that's what their role is. And at Christ Chapel, they're a part of that teaching and giving instruction and encouraging and exhorting, not just in one specific, I have information, I'm going to give it to you, but they're a part of us in the ministry that we're doing and they're ministering to us. The second thing is they're also supposed to be a part of uh, a part of their responsibilities is that they are um, to rebuke those who contradict the sound doctrine that would lead toward health. And I think the word rebuke has gotten a little bit of a bad rap, especially with us people pleasers in a tolerance era. Um, and I began thinking about how when my dad taught me how to drive a car, certainly there was some instruction. And Kathy, here's what you should do, and here's how you should go about it, and good job, and whatever. Frankly, he laughed at me a lot while teaching me to drive, which is not really in the text for elders, but my dad did that. But there were also times, because my dad didn't want me to get in a wreck, because he didn't want there to be a problem, where I would be too close to the line, and he would say, hey, Kath, move over. Or, "Kathy, you're stopping too quickly. There might be someone in the car that you're going to jerk. You need to learn how to stop slower. Or how many times did someone have to rebuke you as you were trying to learn to parallel park? Who created parallel parking? I don't know. How many times did I have to parallel park? Kath, you're cutting it too close. Kath, you need to be a little... I mean, there was a lot of loving rebuke. Why? He wanted me to be able to drive a car well, and he didn't want me to run into other people. And, I mean, that's why he was rebuking me as a part of this. And that is part of the elders' role as they see and hear things from people maybe inside the church or outside that they go and say, "Hey, hold on just a minute. Let's talk about this that's not really healthy. Here's what the help is and what the help looks like, and let me see if I can help you in that." It's intended to be a loving act. I also gave you Revelation 3:19 where Jesus says, and again I highlighted the same words so that you could see it written elsewhere. It says, "Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline." those whom I love. So this group of elders of solid character has been given to the church to encourage, exhort, teach, give instruction, which is helpful in light of the problem that Titus is addressing here, the false teachers, right? And they're also intended to rebuke or refute the error that is out there. That is part of their responsibilities for um, for us, which personally is, Awesome, I think. There's one other thing we need to see in verse 9. Another characteristic, something that the elders are to be committed to. And it says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. These, uh, for us, that refers to the scriptures. All of our elders must be committed to holding firm to the word as taught. And if you are new to Christ Chapel, or maybe if you haven't been around here very long, I will tell you that. Our elders are very committed to the scriptures. It's preached on Sundays. They are supportive of and committed to us studying the scriptures here at Women in the Word. If you got an email from Christ Chapel, it was a quest email today that was trying to encourage all of us to do what? Read through the Bible. Our elders are committed to that for themselves, and they are committed to pushing us toward that. I also think it's really important because I know some of us may have come from different religious backgrounds with different leadership or authority structures. And for some of you, some of this may sound a little scary because you have some things in the back of your head that haven't particularly gone well or have been damaging. And I hope you've seen the intentionality with which the character of these individuals has been looked at. They are a group of people and they are not adding to the scriptures Nor are they taking away from the scriptures. They are holding firm to what God has said. They are not priests. They cannot forgive sin. We do not pray to them. That's nowhere in the scriptures. That's not here in Titus. And it's not anywhere in here. It's a group of people given to us for our spiritual health. That are committed already to being transformed their own character giving us instruction, rebuking us when unhealthy things come along, committed to not adding or taking away from the Scriptures, but making sure there's a firm hold on it. And a lot of times I know they do so much that I and most of us don't know behind the scenes. just wanted to give you one small example of how they do this and are so protective of us and our health, maybe in ways we don't know. Not too long ago there was an organization, I'm not going to tell you their name, it doesn't matter, and they came to Christ Chapel and our elder board and said, we want to come teach on this specific issue from your pulpit. And it's not necessarily uncommon for someone to ask to share a message or something from our pulpit. Um, that doesn't uh, you know, happen all the time, but that happens sometimes. And it's an issue that actually, on the facts of the issue, we agree with at Christ Chapel. And you have heard our pastor, Ted Kitchens, and others preach on it. If I were to tell you the issue, on the facts, that online... And as the elder board, on our behalf, kind of said, hey, let's talk about this a little bit, they took their own time, met with the individual, and that individual um, kind of began some bullying and pushing and was promoting not a message but a methodology not consistent with what the Scripture says. And the elder board listened and met and gave of their time and heard some accusations, and took the spiritual hit for us. And after looking at the scriptures, the method, and the message, said, you know, we may agree with your message, but the bullying and the dissension and the division and some of the things that are coming along with that, we don't think that's really a safe spiritual choice for our church. And so um, thank you for your time. We're going to bless you and not say bad things about you. But we are going to protect our flock And say thank you, but no thank you, though we agree with that message. I want you to know that that's not the only example of that. That the elders here at Christ Chapel are regularly thinking about that. And sometimes I think when we think about a group of people that has some form of leadership in the church, we almost imagine Congress like making laws, telling us what to do, greedy for gain. Like that's kind of sometimes what comes into our mind. And at least from what we see here in Titus, I'd like to change that imagery a little bit or at least maybe add a dimension to the imagery. And I'd rather maybe have us think about it from the context. You know, unfortunately, lately, there's been a lot of um, sad things that have happened in our country from the Boston terrorist attacks to, um, you know, the fire in West to some of the tornadoes. You know, We all, as individuals, are concerned about and aware of our safety and want to work toward that. But we have some special groups of people that are working toward our safety on our behalf. We have um, people in our military that are trying to find out about those things and protect us before they happen. We have firefighters trying to protect fires before they happen. We have police officers trying to protect things before they happen. But also, what happens when those dangers do come? Who are the first people in? those first responders. when They try to protect us, but when there's damage, when there's a problem, they're the first to run in. They're the first to sacrifice. They're the first to run in and say, we want to protect you and get you out. While we are running out, they are running in to protect us. That is what the elders do on behalf of a body, and that's what they do here at Christ Chapel. In fact, read with me on the flip side of this from our constitution. Um, The duty section number three, tell me if this doesn't sound like what we've just been talking about. It shall be the duty of the elders to care for the church in its spiritual condition, to guard the purity of doctrine and life of the church, and to discipline the church in accordance with the word of God. So how do you think we're doing? You think our elders are trying to do what elders are intended to do in the book of Titus? I think they are. And again, we already kind of saw this in our overview, but why is that necessary? Why is that needed? Why was that concerning? Well, let's head back to Titus and see specifically a little bit more about the problem that Paul and Titus were trying to address. They are seeking to address the disorder that's created by false teachers, Look with me at the character of these false teachers because it's suspect. First, look at how they're described in verse 10. Insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. You can already see a clear contrast with the character that we just read of the elders in those verses before. What about verse 12? Um, Always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. What about verse 16? Detestable, disobedient, and fit for any good work. As we move into chapter 3, verse 11, they're warped and sinful, self-condemned. So we see a very clear contrast between the character of the elders and the character of the false teachers. And I'd like to say sometimes this character is very obvious, but sometimes this character is is not quite so obvious. If someone walked in the room and said, I want you to listen to my message, and they began bullying us around and yelling really loudly and say, Jesus is terrible, don't listen to him, throw your Bible out the window, we would probably notice that, right? And I'm not saying some individuals aren't drawn into something that dramatic, like that happens. But unfortunately, false teachers in our marketing era can kind of look pretty slick, sound pretty slick, even include parts of the Bible sometimes. You know, the specific group that was concerned about here, they were seen to be a part of the circumcision party, and we're going to see more specifically their message was connected probably to Judaism. So it wasn't someone that said, we're not buying into anything. Sometimes we'd like to think with this strong contrast we see that we would immediately notice And I'm not sure that we already would, immediately would. Keep going and see what their goal is. The goal of the false teachers in verse 11 is what? They are teaching for shameful gain. They're teaching for shameful gain. They're looking for some sort of personal benefit. Now again, sometimes that may be obvious. Sometimes, not so obvious. I'm sure we can all think of people that have had a platform, and then you find out later the um, the way they've used or abused their abuse their money. It's not always easy and incredibly obvious to note the false teachers and their goal and their methodology. So we have to be pretty astute. Again, it's connected back to the elders holding firmly to the trustworthy word of God, making sure we have sound doctrine, instruction, and reproof when we may head off into an unsound doctrine and it's us being committed to do that as well our elders want us to and the bible tells us to so we're a part of that we're going to talk about that in much more detail next week so what is the message that they're bringing the false teachers are bringing a message that's erroneous and it's damaging look at verse 11 what are they teaching the end says what they ought not to teach Verse 14 and 15 specifically talk about Jewish myths and, again, connected to Judaism. I'm going to come back to verse 15 in a minute. I want to point out in verse 9 of Titus 3, foolish controversies, genealogies, discussions, and quarrels about the law. Again, the law was a part of something religious, so it's not necessarily something totally secular. Verse 15 um, Can be a little confusing, so I wanted to take a minute to point to what that likely is referring to. It says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and consciences are defiled. That can seem a little bit confusing. Think with me back to the Levitical law and the fact that there were certain types of foods that were considered clean, certain types of foods that were considered unclean. It was pointing to Christ pointing to the cleansing he was going to bring. And when Jesus came and died on the cross, was raised again, and purchased that cleansing with his blood, some of those ceremonial laws went away. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, on your verse seat, Jesus refers to this specifically. He says in verse 15, Nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Again, he keeps talking about... um, I'll just keep reading. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Again, think in your mind back to verse 15 where some people are saying... Those foods aren't clean, those things aren't pure, you can't have them, Jesus has come and said, no, with my death and and resurrection, I've purchased cleansing, there aren't clean foods and unclean foods anymore. However, your heart is either clean or unclean. So again, there's a teaching going on here that's erroneous, and it's damaging, because if you believe that you need a, if you believe that Jesus has purchased your cleansing, that's key to the gospel that's key to salvation and if you could believe it's something else obviously that would be a spiritually damaging error so we see their message is erroneous and it's also damaging i know again as we think about this in our own lives and in our own world there are stories that probably come to your mind of maybe a certain religion or cult that has taught things that are pretty out there and maybe even encouraged um, Killing some people or causing great damage, certainly there are things like that that are erroneous and damaging. But again, it's not things that are just out there. In fact, in some, not all, but in some ways for us in the church, it's those things that sound a little more churchy. In fact, if you've been around Christ Chapel a while, you know sometimes our pastor Ted or someone from the pulpit will mention a specific error or a specific book or a specific teaching that is not healthy. It's part of his job. It's what he's supposed to be doing for us. Um, It's funny, just a couple people lately that when you Google, you know their Wikipedia or whatever comes up as Christian, but they've moved far away from sound doctrine. Rob Bell was listed on Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in 2011. If you look at Wikipedia, it looks like he's a Christian. But, man, he's started to teach some things that are not consistent with the Scriptures and not at all consistent with the cross and the resurrection and the way the Bible teaches. Not good with um, a correct interpretation of Scripture. There are women that do this, too. Rachel Held Evans has some things out there that are not good. In fact, I asked a friend recently, I said what most concerns you about women and error or unsound doctrine, again, whatever I'm teaching, I tend to talk about with my friends. You know what she said? She said, The number of blogs I see read and liked and reposted that are not necessarily filled with sound doctrine is very scary to me. And it's not necessarily all wrong. But we have to read with a very careful lens those things that we kind of skim through, have a Bible verse in there, or a friend's recommended, or, oh, that book was in that bookstore I went to. Those are things that are out there that are trying to draw us in. And we, of course, individually need to be aware of those things. And the elder board, thankfully, is looking out for those things on our behalf. So, what is our role as a part of the solution? How do we respond to this text? Well, first, um, we want to support and pray for our elders. In fact, on the back of your sheet, in case you didn't know who the names of them are, if you look on the back of this Constitution, I've given you the list of our current elders um, Tim Harvard, Craig Hollingsworth, Jeff Ice, Bill Moncrief, John Proctor, John Robinson, Mike Sharp, David Teitelbaum, Rich Young. They rotate. You'll be able to read in here, they serve three year terms. Um, they can serve two consecutively, and then they rotate off. So no one has a 30-year uninterrupted tenure on our elder board. The non-voting elders, Greg Cook, Bill Egner, Ted Kitchens, is not because we uh, don't trust them. It's certainly they have great influence on our church. Um, it's for a lot of reasons, including a protection. Remember, these false teachers were greedy for shameful gain, and it protects... First of all, someone from getting in that role um, that might be paid by Christ Chapel that could take some money. The um, voting elders aren't paid by Christ Chapel, and it also protects um, people that are created by Christ Chapel from being accused of being for financial gain because they don't have a vote on what their salary would be. So um, these are our elders. Certainly want to support and pray for them. Second, We really need to quickly and graciously defer to them. I thought about how when you see a police officer with his blue light going, you don't know exactly where he's going, and you don't exactly know what danger he's heading to. You don't exactly have all the facts. And there are times when it's appropriate to talk to a police officer or talk to an elder or ask questions. They're not in some marble castle we can't talk to. But when you see that blue light, you assume the best, and you think there's probably a problem, and they're trying to solve it, And I don't want to get in the way, so I'm going to pull off to the side. So I'd like to ask that we all, if there's ever an issue, we quickly and graciously defer because we believe their character and we believe what they're trying to do to keep us spiritually safe and maybe someone who's in danger that they're trying to pull out of danger. The third thing, we really need to listen to their teaching and their cautions. They're in this role. They're thinking about it. They're meeting about it. They're praying about it. They're working toward that. I actually, and this is probably just because I'm kind of nerdy, but whenever, which thing, unfortunately I don't get to be around the elders very much, but if ever I am around one, in fact, a couple of years ago, I happened to be at a July 4th picnic table sitting next to one of the elders. And, I, I mean, obviously there was a group of people, and I don't even remember what we were talking about, but at some point, I often like to ask the elders, what are you excited about that's going on at Crush Chapel? Or what what can I get behind? Or what is concerning? Or what do you see out there? And to be honest, part of it is on a personal level. I believe they're there for my spiritual protection. And if I can find out what I need to be aware of and cautious of, I want to know. And as a staff person, I also want to know so that I can tell you so that you can join me in getting into the safety of the bunker instead of the craziness of the damage that can come When we move outside of this safety, spiritual health protection that God has for us. Um, And then the last thing, and we're going to get into it more next week, but we want to know sound doctrine ourselves. The Bible teaches us to do that, and the elders want us to know it. That's why they're constantly putting before us um, Bible studies, mentors who've been trained, the email we got today about the quest, the preaching that's on Sunday, they want us to know it and to be healthy. They also want us to instruct it in the circles we're in. I know they'd love to know everyone, but they can't. And that's part of being a part of a body is that they're giving it to us so that hopefully we're giving it to other people. And then again, we have to be willing to, just like the elders are, be people hard word for women that like to please people, sometimes rebuke is the most loving thing to do when you're trying to move someone back to protect them from danger. I have a friend I was talking to recently and she was talking about a friend of hers that she'd been trying to encourage and every single solitary person's um, friend, uh, person in that friend's life was trying to tell her to do something. that was not biblical and was going to cause great damage. And she was literally the only one telling her scripture and pushing her back. And I was like, so what would she do? What would she decide? And she was like, well, for now she's in a good place and she's distant enough from it that she's really glad that this is the choice she made. And sometimes people may think that position is popular, sometimes not so much, but that is who and what we are um called to do as people who loved and want to be spiritually healthy personally i mean i hope if i'm going the wrong direction that there's someone in my life that will love me enough to say danger move back and i may not like it at the moment but man aren't you grateful for that when someone who will tell you in the moment what you need to hear instead of after the fact oh yeah I always thought and i'm like well don't tell me after the fact like tell me when it can be helpful for me you know So as I was um, thinking about this on a walkthrough, I said, what am I walking away from this study with? And what would I love for everyone to walk away from this study with, at least on a maybe a heart change level? And first of all, I hope that you see the seriousness of the job that our elders have and the seriousness with which they put into what they do. I hope there's a great sense of gratitude that someone who may or may not know your name, if you're a part of Christ Chapel, is praying for, looking out for you, taking spiritual hits for you, trying to protect the attacks from coming, and working to drag us out when we get there. I'm really grateful for that. Um, thirdly, I know that it's a hard world, and some of us may feel like we're out there alone, maybe our Um, biological families aren't what we hoped that they would be in a spiritual sense. Maybe our friends aren't. I, I hope that because you know there's a group of men at this church who are praying for and looking out for you and trying to do their best to spiritually protect and help and guide and strengthen you whether you know it or not, I hope you just rest a little easier tonight knowing that God has put someone in your life that's doing that, whether you know their name or they know yours.